Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. And I'm here with an architect who I have admired for a number of years, who's been overseas, Karen Abernethy. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Karen, um, you're an architect. You studied at Melbourne Uni and then you did a Master's in Art in Public Space at RMIT here. Yes. Tell me a little bit about about your background, because you do, I mean, just for people who, if they want to see Karen's work, you can go to uh, Gallery Fanaki in Crosley Street yes. and see uh, Karen's work. You could go to Craft Victoria in Flinders Lane, which is just open, and see your your fit out. Yep. And you, you can't go to New York and see the yoga studio that you're working on, but tell me a little bit about your background. Okay. Um, I was I was born and raised in Melbourne and um, I uh, studied at Melbourne University um, where I um, developed quite a strong interest in sculpture and visual arts, um, which I think um, sort of uh, led my studies in a particular direction to the point where when I finished studying I decided to study a Masters in Art in Public Space at RMIT. Um, I was just very interested in um, the immediacy of of, a, of an art practice um, compared to an architecture practice, which could take years. Which can take years and years and years. And so the 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 the, the length of time of an architectural pro, um, project um, was quite frustrating to me. And I found that I could have a much quicker sort of um, creative output um, by um, making artwork and um, and I could also maintain my conceptual ideas um, in a much more direct way as well and so I think that uh, experience has really informed the way that I also practice architecture um, so that's sort of one aspect of, of my background. The other aspect of my b background is that I've um, I've spent a lot of time living overseas um, in my year out. Um, in After third year architecture, I spent two years working in Italy uh, for an architect. And then um, I've just recently been living in Switzerland for the past, for 10 years. Um, and so I've spent a lot of time also overseas which has also I think influenced my practice so even though I don't want to put you in a, a, a pigeonhole or a box yeah. you you tend to a lot of the work that I've seen has been for galleries small artistic institutions you yeah. kind of really have an affinity for craft yes well I mean I'm looking at the Crosley Street Gallery yeah. which is a gallery for Naki, yeah which is very important very small very simple uh, it had to actually um, provide a number of functions mm. in a tiny space. And yeah. I'm talking, people go to the Fanaki Gallery, we're looking at about 30 square metres, yes. so not much more than that. Yeah. And it had to be an exhibition space, yeah. a display space, a place you could move around and create exhibitions. Yeah. To start with that one, because okay. a lot of people would, a lot of architects would say, look, this is just a headache. Yeah. I can't do this. Yeah. Um, so the commission for Gallery Funaki came through really my relationship with Mari Funaki, who was the founder of the gallery, and um, she was a really, really good friend of mine and my partner at the time, Kiko Janoka, who's a jeweller. Um, 
Katie Scott, who took over the gallery after Mari Funaki sadly passed away, um, commissioned me partly because of my relationship with Mari and my understanding of her um, sort of philosophy when it came to um, curation and also design. Um, and also because of my relationship with Kiko Janoka, who is an artist, and just the sort of breadth of um, all the um, uh, the contact, the, the constant contact that I'd had with the with the world of craft. I think she really um, thought that I had a good understanding of what was required um, for the gallery, and so. I think when I designed that space, I had both Mari in mind um, from an aesthetic sort of point of view and also the artists. Because jewellery is, even though they're larger pieces and yeah. some of them are almost installations, the majority of pieces in this gallery are quite small yeah. and they really could easily be lost. Yes. In, even if it's a space 30 square metres, yeah. you'd lose them. And yeah. so I imagine well, what's so lovely about the gallery is you walk in the the jewellery is the focus yes. rather than creating too yeah. much of the architecture yeah. but obviously they go together yeah and it's also it's a it's a gallery space rather than a retail space so um it was very important that the work was shown in such a way that um allowed some flexibility also in the way that the work is displayed so the use of the niche was something that mari had actually um originally developed in 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 the in the original design of the gallery so a niche space where you can have smaller objects and really sort of um, kind of delve into the intimacy of these tiny beautiful um, things and then the rest of the gallery space being quite open but also sort of um, able to um, be rearranged so that there's different sort of platforms for the work to be displayed um, and, and allowing, keeping the flexibility in the space so that artists can also feel like when they're installing an exhibition that they have um, scope to um, create installations, like you said, and um, and I know from my experience with Kiko, he always wanted to, he and and other artists as well, he always wanted to sort of create an environment within Gallery Funaki when he was installing, and that was something that Mari really encouraged. So it was really important that there was that scope also in the in the new design. The other thing I've noticed with your a lot of your projects, whether it's uh, Funaki Gallery or Craft Victoria or a house I saw recently in Carlton, mm. you tend to use very inexpensive materials but treat them in a way that they're quite precious yes. because a lot of architects, not all, but a lot yeah. would say, well, I just can't do it on that budget yeah. and, you know, I don't want to use MDF, yeah. and, you know. Yeah. But you tend to treat these very simple materials as if there's something quite special. Yes, and it's also... Um, uh, yeah, often it's a lot to do with budget, but I think despite the despite the budget constraints, I probably really for all of those projects you mentioned wouldn't change the material, even if I did have you know unlimited money. Unlimited money. Um, for me, uh, it's more more about the um, design is more about the quality of the space in terms of light and um, flexibility and detail, rather than using um, acres of marble yeah particularly rich um, materials I'm much more interested in the sort of um, the composition of shapes um, and yeah I'm don't I don't I don't have such a such a um, such an interest in 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 a material defining a design mm. 
Craft Victoria is an inter interesting project because it's in the basement. It's just near, what's the restaurant called? Um, uh, Super Normal. Super Normal, in the basement. Yeah, um, behind Super Normal. It's Rob Watson Lane. What's, Watson's Place. Watson's Place. Yeah, uh, opposite the Regent Theatre, opposite uh, the back of the Regent It's quite Theater. difficult to find. It's yeah. in a basement space. Yeah. It must have been... When you saw that space for the first time, it's attempting to say, look, I think it's, you know, to get something that feels light yeah. and engaging, yeah. to get people into a, into a, a yeah. space that size. I mean, it's quite a generous space, but it's below ground. Yeah, yeah. And it's really off the beaten track. Yeah. What goes through your mind when you first look at a space like that? Do you think maybe I've taken on too much or they're going to be disappointed? Um... No, the first thing that I do is I look for opportunities. So what, what, how the design can, um, yeah, what can be done with the design to, to, to alleviate some of these constraints on the site. So, um, yes, when I first went to, to that particular space, it was like a car park. It was probably was a car park, wasn't it? Uh, or basement. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. It was a basement space, all gray, no natural light, no natural ventilation. It, um, yeah, it was, it was, um, slightly terrifying, but, um, also a good challenge. And so to begin with, I mean, um, my first thought was how can we kind of create a space which emulates a window or natural light so that when you walk into the space you sort of get a sense that um, there is some sort of um, th there's some sort of view outwards or there's light coming in in some way and so that sort of was the precursor to the design for the for the so, atrium so you've basically got this beautiful light coming through yeah. that's amplified through the reflections on mirrors. Yes, exactly. And then you walk through, for people who can't see it, and you really should go and have a look at Craft Victoria, it is pretty special. Then you walk through this bridge of plywood or laminated timber, also mirrored. So that kind of sets up almost like an arbour of, or a welcoming mat. Yes. And a, and a, and a, and a wind and a window for me. It's a window um, that provides a view onto craft, and it sort of um, it's yeah, it's almost like a um, an immersion into what craft is all about, and they have and craft displays their most special pieces by some of their most talented makers they're reflected on both sides as you come down the stair from Watson's place you start seeing glimpses of the of Objects. the work reflected in the mirrors um, so it's a total immersion really into into what craft is all about originally we were talking about it being a more sort of didactic sort of experience where um, that might there might be text involved in the design which explains what the philosophy of craft is but we really felt that um, that the objects sort of spoke for themselves, and we we could keep it very very minimal and just have the the, the objects placed in the um, in the shelving with a reflection, and that that said enough. Um, Karen, when you're looking at something like Craft Victoria, do you before you even start a project, do you tend to interview a few craftspeople uh, and get a feel of what they're wanting f from the outcome, or is that just too many voices um i feel like with my involvement in the craft community over so many years you i can almost read what they're going to I, say i didn't really need it. to yeah I, I yeah i didn't really need to this the space for me was really about the makers um and creating 
and I and I and I, I I feel like I had a very good idea of what what was required from them. I interviewed all of the um, various staff at Craft, all very talented people who work really really hard to bring the program of the organisation together, and um, they all had very specific requirements. So it was quite, you know, th th there's a cu there's an exhibition curator, retail manager, event curator, event. Um, uh, event curator, um, communications, um, there's archives and storage, So, and everybody had all different um, requirements. requirements, and the space was actually relatively small um, to be able to provide those requirements, so I really had to think, um, you know, find a really um, efficient solution for um, being able to accommodate everybody and giving, you know, all of the different... Um, so basically the open plan spaces you've orchestrated through using movable partitions yes. to become like backdrops, display yeah. areas, but yeah. also can just be moved around so yeah. one area becomes an office at one stage or a yeah. meeting room, yeah. but then it can be opened up as, for general exhibition yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the space can be completely open, there can, there's a separate library and boardroom area. Um, the retail space can be divided from the exhibition space and then there's another smaller exhibition space which can also be separate. Um, also interesting with this space is that you've taken Sean Godsell's steel bench, yes. which was pretty extraordinary, five yeah. or six metres long, yeah. from the previous Craft Victoria headquarters yes. and yeah. transported it. Yeah. That's an interesting idea because it was very adventurous for the time yeah it was probably done in 99 2000 yeah. i could be wrong it was quite it made quite a huge impact yeah. in that space yeah. so how does that work when you're taking something from something like yeah. that and trying to fit into yeah. something new um it was very important for me to to um reuse the iconic um oxidized steel bench that sean designed um as a student we would go to we went to craft when it first opened and it was considered um quite um groundbreaking i guess in its use of materials with the battened walls and the um and and the and the quartet and um the sliding panels um and i think that influenced all of us as students in terms of um and it was one of sean's very first projects so um it, i very from the very beginning um i wanted to reuse the bench and um and so Initially, it was we didn't know whether we were going to be able to bring it in or how it was constructed, and then um, it actually came apart in three pieces and was able to be carried in with by sort of ten men, strong men, into the space. And um, I think it fits really well. I think there's there's Beautiful. yeah, it's part of Craft's history, and um, there's a really nice relationship between the oxidized steel and the. Um, and, and the um, and the objects in the space, um, again similar to Funaki, the actual exhibition and retail space for me had to be very pared back and minimal so that it was the works that really spoke. And so, um, inserting the core ten bench really was the only um, gesture that had any colour in the space. And I, I felt apart from the the timber at the entry, and I felt that that was really enough. Um, we didn't need to... Um... And I believe the doors that Sean designed for 
Craft Victoria, the previous one, they they were sold to a collector, or they were they were I believe they were sold um, for reuse in a in a residential project to a collector. Yes, how wonderful! Yeah, yeah. There was some talk about using the door as a table at one point, but um, yeah, that that. Um, and I I went to see one of your recent homes yeah. uh, in Carlton that I was very impressed with a little terrace, tiny little terrace. Um, again, had a lot of issues with light and. Uh, most people, again, would have said, look, this is too small. I think look for someone else. Yeah. Um, but it's turned out it's, it's just one of the most exquisite little jewel-like um, pieces I've seen in a long while. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this. I think the resi- my residential projects are an opportunity to maybe, um, unlike the gallery spaces, actually... Um, um, an opportunity to express my own craft a little bit more as well. And so I think that's, um, you can see that in the jewel house, um, the use of materials and the detailing and floating stairs, the floating stairs. Um, it was, uh, this house actually, um, has belonged to my family for a number of years. And I, I resided there myself with my sister, um, during my studies at um, during my studies and um, and so I had a real connection to the place which I think uh, really informed the design I understood really well how the you'd know every centimeter of that yeah, place. yeah and how the light works and what the neighbors are like and um, what you can hear and um, and the whole sort of I guess sensory um, environment that that we were working within um, and so uh, yeah, the the design was very much informed by that, and also the site constraints. Obviously, it's less than four meters wide, um, and um, the context of the street on Station Street, which is sort of the, it's not the leafy end of Station Street; it's the more gritty end of Station Street. So it was very important for my parents, who had moved there from North Melbourne, to to have a sanctuary also away from this very sort of dirty and sometimes noisy and busy sort of end of Station Street. So um, I really wanted to create a sanctuary for them. Karen, finally, what's it like coming back from Switzerland, being so close to, you know, the epicentre of design and working with, you know, on some great projects and working in that environment, coming back to Melbourne after 10 years? What have you noticed? Um... I've noticed, and maybe this is just um, because I'm a little bit older now, I've noticed how, um, what a great community there is in Melbourne now in design, in architecture and design, and how people support each other. And maybe this always happened, but it's just because I've, I'm now here running my own practice that, um, that, that I've realized this, but there's a very sort of supportive and, um, collaborative, um, community. Uh, and that's, that's really inspiring. And I think that compared to some places in Europe where it's just very cutthroat and competitive, um, I feel like in Melbourne, and it's probably because we're so fortunate to have so much work I guess um and I think that's that's a really beautiful thing um I think that um, I think there might be a little bit less I guess I left 11 12 years ago now 
from Melbourne. From Melbourne, and I guess this like style of design in Melbourne has changed quite a lot. I, I don't think it's quite as original. Maybe there maybe aren't. Is it because the internet's just making everything possibly, more generic? Yeah, and there's a lot of um, design blogs, and so you know, and this could also be client driven. People are more informed. Um, they want to have what everybody else has, um, and so. Yeah, I guess it's our job now as architects and creative thinkers to educate people into what design is, that it's not just taking things that they see online or on Instagram and Ordering. and and adapting it to their project, but design is actually a creative process and um and needs to be specific to the site and specific to people's requirements and um uh yeah, so that culture has definitely changed. Um, and I don't really feel like where I was anyway in Europe that design was so influenced by um, those sort of sources and people's thoughts were influenced by... by um, Regional ideas. Yeah. Um, so... Maybe yeah. it's just um, here we feel as if, you know, we have to kind of keep up. Maybe, maybe. Rather um, than finding our own voice. Yeah, it's in some ways, um, in some ways the culture is very outward looking, but in other ways it's also, it's also, um, it's also a, a bit of a culture of, of following what other people are mm. doing, you know, in, in the immediate context. Um, so. Mm. Well, look, Karen, thanks so much for coming. I think it's very easy for me to spot one of your designs i've actually become quite attuned uh. to walking in and going it's karen abernethy um it maybe it's experience but i do think there is that very distinctive voice that you have that you. it isn't about throwing things at things everything is very considered and look um i hope you enjoy your return to melbourne Thank i hope you. melbourne keeps you for a long time yeah i think it might and uh, well and uh, thanks so much for being on the program you're welcome You've been listening to Karen Abernethy, a very talented architect who's just come back from Switzerland. And thanks so much for, for coming on. Thanks, Stephen. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne.